Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. This episode is brought to you in part by Noom. Forget one-size-fits-all diets. With Noom, you get a personalized weight loss plan that's tailored to your lifestyle. No food is off-limits. Enjoy your favorites while discovering healthier habits. Noom's users love the flexible approach, blending psychology and biology to help you lose weight in a way that's sustainable for you. And great news for foodies. Noom just released the Noom Kitchen Cookbook with 100 delicious, healthy recipes. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M. Com. Grab your copy of The Noom Kitchen wherever books are sold. Welcome to Right on Hollywood with Christian Toto, part of the Just the News Podcast Network. Sick of media bias infecting film reviews? Furious that too many stars insult your views? Right on Hollywood has your back. Christian is an award-winning journalist, movie critic, and founder of HollywoodInToto.com, the right take on entertainment. Now here's your host, Christian Toto. Welcome to Right on Hollywood, a proud member of the Just the News Podcast Network. This week's show is brought to you by Fauci. The documentary tells the story of a heroic doctor who finally found the media fame he craved, courtesy of a global pandemic. This week we're talking with Chris Brawley, founder of BleedingFool.com. Do you love geek culture, but you're really kind of sick of all that virtue signaling in the press? Chris has a site for you. I don't get to travel too much these days for work, but I did last weekend. I visited the set of the new Gina Carano movie. The film is called Terror on the Prairie. It's an indie western, and I can't wait to see it. Now, I can share the specifics of my visit. There's an embargo in place, and if I break it, I'm in pretty big trouble. But it is still worth recalling what Gina Carano went through and why this particular comeback really matters. Listeners probably already know The Ballad of Gina Carano. That's what I called it in my new book, Virtue Bombs, How Hollywood Got Woke and Lost Its Soul. I dedicated an entire chapter to her story because it really, it does matter. It does capture the woke mentality and cancel culture gone amok, for sure. Now, the Mandalorian store spoke out on social media in ways the narrative didn't like. And eventually, Disney candor for it. So why do we care? Why does her story matter? Well, for really, this context really matters here. As we all know, Disney is in bed with China, and China runs concentration camps. But they were just outraged that an actress would share doubts about pandemic masks and lockdown mania. That was a bridge too far. Of course, all the brave feminists in Hollywood stood down, all quiet on their front, when she came under fire. And then, a few weeks later, I checked in some of the feminist groups that cover women in Hollywood, organizations dedicated to empowerment, including a group literally named Women in Film. They were silent, too. In fact, I think Gina Carano would have been canceled for quite some time, if not forever, if not for Ben Shapiro and The Daily Wire. Now, just a quick note, I do contribute to The Daily Wire. I'm a freelancer there, but I do remain an independent contractor, so I have no official ties to the organization. 
Shapira's team hired Carano and said, hey, we'd like you to star and produce in a movie for us. Turns out there may be more than one project they're working with together. Voila, she's uncanceled. And to me, that sends a message on a few levels. One is that right-of-center groups are ready and eager to help uncancel stars who are unfairly targeted. Now, this isn't a Harvey Weinstein situation. Gina Carano didn't hurt anyone. She just shared her thoughts on social media. That was her crime. That was her thought crime. And clearly, she was being punished unfairly. And two, I think other actors may see what happened to Gina Carano and say, you know what? Maybe I should speak up too. Maybe I shouldn't stand down. I should share my thoughts. Everyone else does. People on the left certainly do. They don't face punishment. And if I do, maybe someone will come along and help me as well, just like Daily Wire did to Gina Carano. I think it's a really important step. And maybe it can embolden a few people to speak out because the more people speak out, the more canceled culture will fade into the background. We're not close to that yet, but we can hope. And I think for me, though, when I think about Gina Carano's story, the biggest part is right before the cancellation. She knew she was on thin ice with Team Disney. She talked about it with a subsequent interview on the Ben Shapiro show, and we talked a little bit about it when I met her. She knew that any problematic tweet of hers, and of course problematic, you put that in scare quotes, could cost her the gig of a lifetime. This is the Mandalorian she was on. This was the show that brought Star Wars back from the grave. Three Star Wars movies, and all of a sudden people didn't care about the franchise. All that love, all that entertainment, all that goodwill built up with fans. Well, by the time the last Star Wars movie came out, The Rise of Skywalker, I was checked out, and I think a lot of people were as well. And then The Mandalorian comes in, and it's terrific. It's a really good show on Disney+. And here's an actress who was an MMA fighter who had some hits and had some misses all of a sudden in one of the biggest shows in Hollywood. That's not easy to give up. Not at all. And I think there's word that they were going to make a spin-off series based on her Cara Dune character. Again, huge, huge benefit to starring in that show. Could have made her a superstar. She knew all this. And she still spoke her mind, and she still stood up to the consequences. In fact, you could say, Carano persisted, but not in the way that a silly Native American senator once did. This really mattered. Now, like I said, Carano was an MMA fighter back in the day, but she's even tougher outside the octagon, at least to me. It took real true bravery, not the phony baloney Hollywood kind, to be true to herself, to keep her voice, and keep her integrity. Now look what happened. She's got a movie or two coming our way. So what's Carano like in real life? Well, again, I can't say her too much, but she's pretty real. She's sweet. She's also eager to start the next chapter of her career on her terms. And you know what? I didn't need to meet her in person to learn this, but I would say that she's one of the toughest women in Hollywood, except she no longer needs Hollywood to make movies. She's doing it now, again, on her own terms. Don't touch that dial. You're listening to Right on Hollywood. What's the dial? This week's Toto Take is Sweet Liberty. I love this film. It's from 1986. I watched it years and years ago. And to me, it marks the high point of Alan Alda's directing career. He directed a few movies around that era. Four Seasons was his big splash. I would think that was his first film he made. To me, Sweet Liberty is a much better film. He plays a history professor whose book is being made into a Hollywood blockbuster. 
Sounds amazing, right? He gets to watch a production. He gets to see his vision come to life. But this is 80s Hollywood, where historical accuracy, well, not so important. You could say it's adorable. (laughs) We're not going to really try. So, of course, his professor character is aghast to learn about all the changes they're making to his story, to history. And, of course, some of them are sparked by the film's stars themselves. Yep, that's Michael Caine playing a, a very lecherous lead actor and Michelle Pfeiffer turning everyone's heads, including Alan Alda's, as the leading lady. They want to make their story their way. They want to placate their egos. And Alan Alda's thinking, I just want to make story as accurate as possible. And, of course, there's a big clash there. Now, the movie's really funny, but it's not in that kind of chaotic, forced way. The jokes come from the characters and the situations. That's where the best comedy comes from. And I have to say, as much as I enjoyed it, I think Lillian Gish really steals the movie. She plays Alan Alda's elderly mom, and she's got some odd ideas about, well, just about a lot of things, but she's pretty darn funny. Love her in this movie. Now, I have to say that this is a gentle satire in Hollywood. It's not the skewering that we've seen in the past from other films. I think Alda loves Hollywood. He's been in the, the industry for decades. It's done very good for him. He's certainly done well for them within the industry. And he's not going to throw real sharp elbows here. But, you know, you don't need that. I think he's kind of poking fun at the way Hollywood works, and it's just enough. Now, I have to confess, I've been really eager to add this movie to my home Blu-ray collection. Years and years, but it wasn't available. And I think I might have set up a Google, Google alert on Sweet Liberty Blu-ray hoping to kind of find out when it finally came available. And it did a few months back. So I gobbled it up, watched it, enjoyed it all over again. And I have to say, if you want to see it now, you still have to go the route I did. You have to buy it because it's not available anywhere on any streaming platform. So if you do want to see Sweet Liberty again, you want to relive those memories or maybe just watch it for the first time, you're going to have to buy a Blu-ray copy. But in my opinion, it's definitely worth it. Dad Dial, you're listening to my daddy's podcast. Bill Maher is at it again. A few talk show hosts are as reliably liberal as Maher, but the HBO store keeps pounding away at the woke revolution in ways that Colbert and Kimmel and all their competitors, they never do. Bill Maher is unstoppable on the subject, and there's some good reasons why. Now, I don't know his heart, but I think... From a, an intellectual point of view, he understands what's going on with the woke situation and that cancel culture is a real cancel, a cancer on society. I get that. But the pragmatic side to what he's doing, Bill Maher realizes that Democrats are shooting themselves in the foot over and over and over again. And if he speaks up, he's hoping that maybe someone will listen on his side and stop. No, it's not happening yet. It may not happen at all, but I think that's the the motivation behind what he's doing on his late-night TV show. Now, over the weekend, Marr stood up for Dave Chappelle, one of the few comics who did that, in his current cancel culture fight. And what he said was pretty interesting. Here's a snippet. Comedian Hannah Gadsby characterized Dave Chappelle's controversial Netflix special as hate speech, dog whistling. Well, dog whistle refers to when someone puts things in code because they're afraid to come out and say what they really think. That's what you get from Dave Chappelle, that he's afraid to say what he thinks? And it's not hate speech just because you disagree with it, nor is it phobic. Phobic comes from the Greek word for something one fears irrationally, like spiders or germs. But now it's used as a suffix for anything you just don't like. Pretty smart stuff. I don't think he's going for comedy here. Maybe you could say there's a little clapter involved for people right of center or free thinkers, but pretty good, no matter what you think of it. Now, 
Maher also blasted the left for redefining basic words. He called it word inflation. Kind of a clever way to kind of refer to it. Here's what he said. You can try to change reality by changing the words, but you can't. It just stops you from dealing with them. Again, pretty smart stuff. I think the bigger question for me is where does Marr go from here? His show's ratings have been huge, but he just, designed, he just signed a nice extension with HBO. So he seems to be in good shape. At least he's comfortable. And I think that HBO has his back for the moment. But will that continue? You know, what if it's 2022? And there's a big old election coming our way. Is he going to keep hammering away at cancel culture and the woke revolution, tying it possibly to the left and to Democrats? If that happens, will cancel culture try to cancel him again? A few years ago, he was set to speak at a college in California, and the cancel culture crowd rose up and tried to smite that situation. Now, this is before we even called it cancel culture. I don't think we even used the word woke at the time, but the same elements were in play. He stood tall. He did speak. He did win that fight, but... Will he win the next one? He's used the N-word on his show. He's caught some heat from that. And I suspect if you went through his social life, his personal life, there may be some things in there that he wouldn't want to be known or that would be a little bit embarrassing if they got public. I mean, I think that's certainly standard for many people in the public eye. Is that going to happen? Are there people going through all his social media posts for the last 10, 15 years? Are there people scouring other stories about him, large and small? That's the way cancel culture works, because if you're the guy or gal who finds that damning information, you know you're going to get a lot of attention. It's going to be that old, sort of that uh, burst of uh, feeling good that you've been able to cancel someone, that heroic social media energy that kind of flows into your body when you've done something like that. It's just the way the system works now. And if that happens, will HBO still have his back, or will Bill Maher be on on the unemployment line? I have to say... I'm actually surprised he hasn't been canceled already. You can probably count to one hand the number of entertainment websites that aren't aggressively woke these days. I run one, and so does Chris Brawley. He's the founder of BleedingFool.com. It's a site that covers geek culture. Think popcorn movies, comic books, things like that. It's for those who are tired of all the woke virtue signaling and all the progressive messaging that you find at Variety and Deadline and The Wrap and sites like that. Also, Screen Rant. Oh, that site has really gone left of center for sure. So, BleedingFool.com is anti-woke and pro-free speech. I think he's two for two on that count. But Brawley's also a culture warrior of sorts. His site supports independent artists who are given a raw deal by the mainstream could call it the man but by the man i mean you know the content creators that we know and sometimes love could be dc comics could be marvel could be netflix you name it it's a left of center world and just being right of center or if just neutral can be problematic for some artists chris is a pretty smart observer about the woke revolution and pop culture in general so i really wanted to have him on the show and also there's a new project he's working with that is very interesting it sounds like something that would be perfectly normal perfectly acceptable five ten years ago but now it's outrageous you'll probably laugh when you hear what it is but it's something i think you'd want to see here's my conversation with bleeding fool founder chris brawley Thanks for joining the show, Chris. I want to start at the beginning, the beginning of bleedingfool.com. And 
talk a little bit about how it evolved over time, but sort of where the inspiration began and we'll kind of maybe kind of start there. Well, thanks, Christian, for having me. I uh, started Bleeding Fool because I've always been a fan of geek media, uh, entertainment, uh, comic books, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And I kept noticing that all of the various websites where I would get, you know, what's the latest on the next Marvel movie or whatever excitement of the du jour was, uh, all of the websites were extremely leftist. Um, if you made a comment about it in the comment section, you were quickly um, swarmed <laughs> by what's uh, effectively known as NPCs these days, it seems like. And uh, there really was no diversity of thought. There was no dialogue. That's still pretty true today, but there have been some other sites that have cropped up uh, besides Bleeding Fool, um, such as Bounding Into Comics or Cosmic Book News and others. But um, I was actually on a comment section at Bleeding Cool, which is sort of the uh, uh, inspiration for the website. We just sort of wanted to initially satirize Bleeding Cool and be sort of the court jester that uh, speaks truth to power. And I remember uh, specifically the incident that caused me to say, well, I'll just start my own website. We were talking about X-Men 94, uh, issue 94. There was an article on Bleeding Cool. And actually that wasn't the article, but that was the gist of my comment. The article was something about more inclusion and diversity and, and other uh, left-wing causes uh, being important to the comic book industry. And I just commented that X-Men 94 had an extremely diverse cast of characters from uh, Storm and Nightcrawler and Wolverine, different nationalities, different races. And I said, and yet they didn't proclaim how diverse and inclusive it was. They didn't say anything about that. They just told a fun, exciting story, and it organically took off and became one of the most uh, popular uh, comic series of all time. Well, I got shadow banned for that. I got <laughs> blocked and shadow banned. Yeah. And I thought, wow, are you kidding me? So uh -huh. I, you know, I did what every um, internet troll does. I started a, a fake account. It got blocked immediately too. So they were, <laughs> you know, checking IP addresses and everything else. And I just said, you know what, I'm just going to start my own website and, and see what happens. And it, uh, it, it has taken off uh, to a degree. I mean, uh, we have had some nominal success, I suppose. Uh, getting our word out there, but really the whole point has been to get uh, a message out there. So we're, you know, whereas maybe abounding into comics is closer to say a Breitbart, I think we're probably a little closer to say an American thinker if you're looking for larger um, opinionated thought on mm -hmm. the web. And we come at things from a right wing, I suppose, conservative standpoint, but we've got several contributors who don't really demonstrate their politics at all. You know, they just review comics, they review movies, toys, games, uh, manga, etc. It's interesting. I have a, uh, a really terrific contributor to Hollywood in Toto. His name is Barry Worst. And we never had a political talk, and I'd say he's probably left of center a bit, but he writes these wonderful reviews, often of older films, which is a lot of fun for me to, to share with the public. And there yeah. are once in a while, there may be a mention that could be sort of socially political in a way, and perhaps it leans left. So I, I dare not uh, edit him at all because I think that'd be horrible of me. He, he's so kind sure. and giving, and, and he's so smart. And I don't want to be that. I don't want to be that source. But it is interesting that you have uh, sort of the more mainstream takes on pop culture in addition to the other work you do. Uh, can you talk about how the site has changed over time? Have, have there been any sort of philosophical differences or or sort of advancements or just 
you know, whenever you're running a business, you, you have to kind of tweak things to kind of keep them up to speed or maybe just you kind of learn as you go. What's what's changed at the site? Well, um, I had never done this before. So at first, you know, there were no bylines. Um, there was there's never really been a purity test, if you will, to sort of <laughs> see where someone stands politically. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have uh, occasionally uh, sent an email back and said, hey, we're not going to be able to publish that or uh, I'm going to have to do some editing to this or that. Uh, but generally, we let um, the contributors write their thoughts, give their own opinions. We've got several um, contributors that we basically just pull from another site or or cross uh, post. I think mm-hmm. we've cross posted one or two Hollywood and Toto articles. Even uh, David M. Vining's got his own website, reviews films all the time. A. H. Lloyd, uh, who I actually discovered, I was plucking uh, great writers from over at the Ace of Spades blog. I don't know if you're familiar with it. But <laughs> oh, yeah. It be. As feisty yeah. as, as humanly possible. It's, it's my tonic every day. They, I tell you what, I could drink that tonic all morning. <laughs> time. Uh, but yeah, really, it's, it's, it's gotten down to sort of a pattern. Uh, we probably publish uh, six to eight new uh, posts per day. A lot of it, though, is stuff that comes from other websites. Mm-hmm. Um, with that might have a little bit of our flavor to it uh, because at the end of the day the idea was not to just print nothing but right-wing opinion stuff we still wanted there to be the news that our audience is looking for you know how did dune do this weekend um what's your favorite halloween comic book covers of all time etc you know so we want that news to be there, but our comment section is remarkably different than what you might see over at Screen Rant or comic book resources, et cetera, where it really is not a diversity of thought. It is strictly left-wing thought there or maybe mm-hmm. no opinion at all. So that's kind of where we've grown over time is just getting into sort of a pattern of how we like to publish and, and who's working with us and uh, kind of how we promote ourselves. Now, the fact that your site is still alive and kicking means something and says something, means you're doing something right. Has it been rewarding, the fact that you had this hunch during that initial shadow pan experiment where you thought, you know, maybe if I do this, that there'll be an audience of people like me, and it seems like that has been the case. Can you maybe share a little bit more about that and how there are people out there who like, you know, geek culture, for lack of a better phrase, I I consider myself falling into that category, but that, that they're, they were hungry for something like this. Yes. Um, I think that that's been probably the most rewarding. Obviously we run, um, ads, um, on our website, no pop-up ads, but we do have embedded ads throughout and which affords us to keep the website going. But I think that the most rewarding part is seeing that there was an audience for this. Uh, we get, several thousand hits per day, uh, views per day, and uh, new clicks per day. So I know that we're reaching people. And of course, I saw the funny hate email that you got the other day. We get that too. <laughs> uh-huh. uh, you know, it's, but I guess that just kind of comes with the territory. I can't imagine the amount of hate email that somebody like the Huffington Post, et cetera, gets. So whatever, at least you know that you're penetrating the audience. And the whole point was really to give People that think like me, I don't necessarily want it to be a hive mind, but people that at least are coming at things um, culturally from my standpoint, which is conservative Christian, um, that they have a place to go and get the news, comment on the news and not be like I was swarmed uh, Mm -hmm. with singularity of thought and um, sort of these 
um, comment police out there. We, we don't do that. The only thing that's going to ban you from our website is if you're um, calling people names and just being a jerk. I think that's uh, the essence of our uh, commenting policy. Don't be a jerk and don't call people names. Yeah. So you're not re-educating your readers and making, no. <laughs> making them think the right way. And I have several commenters, regular ones, uh, that I vehemently disagree with, but I don't, I don't jump in. We want there to be dialogue, and the best ideas are always going to rise to the top. So uh, I think most of the things that we look at, you know, there's uh, some touchy subjects like uh, Comicsgate and other uh, movements that have happened in comic books uh, that I agree almost wholeheartedly with. But if you kind of tie yourself into any of these movements, uh, there seems to be an immediate audience out there that wants to attack you for it, which I found very strange. I've even seen uh, heads of state, if you will, at uh, Marvel Comics and DC Comics that have come out against independent creators. And I think, you know, going back to your earlier question about how the site has evolved, we have really found a, uh, a niche, if you will, supporting independent comic book creators, uh, which we've seen on Indiegogo, Kickstarter, GoFundMe, Patreon, and so on. And um, now you're starting to see some of these big names depart uh, DC Comics and Marvel Comics to go to things like Substack or to crowdfund their own stuff. And I think a lot of that, um, particularly in recent weeks and months, has been because there's been such a hard left turn uh, in the comic book industry, which is really sort of a um, cultural leader in what you see in uh, film and television today. One of your early fans at Bleeding Fool was Mike Barron, a, a veteran comic book writer, a really talented fellow. I happen to know him just a smidge. Uh, he lives in Colorado like I do, and he's working a new project called Thin Blue Line, which is a graphic novel, certainly not what you'd find from a typical comics industry. Can you talk about that project, how you kind of came into contact with it, and why it's, it sounds really different than most stories, although not so different if you think about maybe 10, 20 years ago, the kind of story you might see? Oh, well, yes. Thank you, Christian. I'm glad you asked. Uh, Mike Barron reached out to me, um, gosh, several years ago and had a concept for a Florida Man comic. You've, you've heard of Florida Man. It's, yes, I have. You can Google Florida Man stories. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and, and he just showed me the cover art. I thought it was fun and spectacular. And I said, you really need to crowd on this because I'm kind of getting tired of superhero comics. And, um, Eventually, he came back later and said, why don't you help me? Uh, we had been running a weekly, uh, every Wednesday is quote unquote new comic book day uh, in the comic book industry. So on Wednesdays, we promote three uh, independent crowdsourcing comic book projects. And so he knew that I was sort of interviewing people about it along with John Lemus. And he said, why don't you help me uh, run the crowdfund? And I thought, hey, what the heck if I if I can uh, promote it, let's see if I can pull it off. And we had great success with it. Um, the campaign's still on Indiegogo if you look up Florida Man. And um, my, ever since then, we've had a very good relationship. I actually went out to Colorado uh, several months ago to have him autograph uh, some of the books. And he started talking to me about some other projects. And they're, they're all wildly different. Mike is so talented. You know, Mike uh, sort of cut his teeth at Marvel on Punisher. Uh, he wrote that uh, comic for the first five years uh, of its ongoing existence. He really sort of created some of the characters that you saw on the Netflix show. And, uh, you know, he worked at DC doing The Flash and others. But Mike had made his own creations with Nexus and The Badger. Well, Mike, uh, he, he was always talking to me about these other ideas, and he brought up Thin Blue Line. 
which is the comic book that we're working on now. And it focuses on uh, police being the heroes, which is um, so strange to say that today that is just not a popular proposal. I'm clutching um, my pearls right now, just as you're saying that. I, I know, cops as heroes, who'd have thought it? <laughs> um, we, uh, after the Florida Man wrapped up, we uh, have been uh, talking with a publisher to uh, do an ongoing um, or a limited series series. Um, because Florida Man's at, at its essence is just a funny book, right? <laughs> and it's not political. There's even a transgender character in it. We never get into identity politics. It's just silly PG-13 humor. So I went back to all of the publishers um, that I had talked to about Florida Man and presented uh, Thin Blue Line, which uh -oh. was already uh, <laughs> penciled, already inked, already written. The whole book's done. And none of them wanted to touch it, Christian. Nobody in there. It, it was almost like it was poison uh, mm -hmm. that they would uh, even suggest uh, making the cops a hero. And what's in strange is the hero, the main protagonist here, is a Hispanic single mother. Uh, it sort of ticks several of the boxes that you think um, in modern um, entertainment culture would fit as something they would want to pursue. But... I think with it being uh, police related, they just think it's you know not going to work for them. So Mike said, "Well, let's just crowdfund it again." And that's um, we jumped on Indiegogo uh, a little over a week ago. Uh, quickly got the funding we needed to uh, publish and print it and ship it out. I got to get it colored, but the project is so exciting to me. My mother uh, used to work for the DA's office. Uh, Mike um, actually had an incident when his first wife passed away, um, where he had to deal with the police and they were just so um, respectful and the way that they handled things and the way they dealt with him really had a long lasting impact on Mike. And uh, ever since he's been, I think, wanting to do a project that sort of honors or at least outlines a little bit of, of what they have to deal with. And this book is so entertaining. It's entertaining first, um, but the fact that it does show uh, police in heroic light. Not all of them. There are some that have some ethics issues, which Mike doesn't shy away from, uh, or at least the temptations of it. But uh, it's really, it's riveting. It's gripping. It deals a lot with what you see today about the defund the police movement and Antifa and others. What It's basically a, a riot um, in a city and two cops get assigned to uh, guard the mayor who is uh, acquiescing to all the demands of the mob and uh, what the police have to deal with. It's, it's insane. And, and, you know, Mike, I think just sort of, he always rips his stories from the headlines and the stories always find him and uh, he just ripped it out. And, and um, he had known a guy, Joseph Arnold is the penciler who is also an active duty police officer. Um, That's amazing. So there was a lot of, yeah, it, may, it gives it a, some authenticity uh, to it. And uh, Jeff Slimmons inked it. And I mean, they knocked it out so fast. I've seen professional artists not get done as quickly as these guys did. It really turned out beautiful. Talk about this whole crowdfunding, Indiegogo, GoFundMe. It, part of me is certainly cheering the fact that it exists, that it can support independent artists, especially people who kind of working around the system, quote unquote. And then I wonder, is there a chance that that this is something that's only temporary, that people get exhausted by sort of paying for things like this. But, mm. uh, you know, The Chosen has done so has been so successful in their run um, to kind of tell the, the story of Jesus and other projects have been very successful as well. 
maybe this is just the new normal and this is the way we kind of, you know, process the art that we want. And this is the, we kind of maybe have just part of our, you know, monthly budget for little projects here and there. We've got a Patreon here. You got a podcast there. What's your take on this, this whole movement is, does it have legs? I think it's, I think it does, Christian. I think it's exciting. You mentioned the chosen, my wife and I are working through season one of that. We're finally getting around to it and enjoying it immensely. The um, crowdfunding model is working for people that um, are really, you know, putting their shoulder to the wheel. Uh, I love the model in that it does give independent creators an opportunity to go around uh, the gatekeepers, if you will. I mentioned Comicsgate earlier. Uh, there's a former DC artist, Ethan Van Skyver, who I'm sure you've heard of. Oh, yeah. Who did over a million dollars last year on his Cyberfrog comics, which is mind blowing. Uh, could you imagine being a, a DC artist making, you know, $40,000 a year and finding <laughs> out that your former uh, coworker made a million dollars on his own thing? No wonder there's been an exodus from the, uh, the big two. But I think that um, that's part of the reason that I'm doing uh, the indie comic showcase every week over at bleedingfull.com so that these creators who have ideas can sort of find other creators and learn about the process of crowdfunding. Because I'll tell you what, when uh, I first started with Mike doing the Indiegogo uh, last year for Florida, man, you know, there's, it's, it's not, here's step one, here's step two, here's step three. It's really not that well laid out. You kind of have to glean uh, the information that applies to your specific project. But now I'm seeing uh, companies like Dynamite uh, Comics uh, have been doing some crowdfunds. You know, Keanu Reeves uh, just did a comic called Berserker, which did, I think, another million dollars uh, for Boom, if I'm not mistaken. So it works. Uh, the fact that you um, would, it's sort of a boutique when an independent creator like Mike puts something out there. It's a very uh, boutique, if you will, publishing house. So like uh, with Florida Man, we only printed a thousand copies of that book. Uh, and when you are doing numbers that low, uh, the price isn't, you know, it's not the price of a four or $5 floppy. Uh, you know, you're talking 20, $25 plus shipping. But in the midst of while we've been running this campaign for Thin Blue Line, we've kept the Florida Man Indiegogo up on in demand and people have gone and ordered it too, <laughs> which I've got you know a couple of dozen left uh, before we have to shut it down. So there is an audience. Uh, you just have to curate that audience. I think doing that through social media, through YouTube channels, through uh, online forums, and of course the tried and true email and friends and family, you can generate uh, enough interest. You just have to make sure you've crunched your numbers and known, you know, measure what the cost is. Just like the Bible tells you, you know, you need to know what the cost of something is before you uh, head out into that endeavor. And um, I think, I think, I think there's going to be a lot more of it. I don't think it's going away anytime soon. Gotcha. And one last question, you know, when you look at the cancel culture around us, the woke revolution, there's a selfish side of it for me, knowing that, it can help my business. And I, 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 you know, I have, I have a book that's coming out in January about woke culture in Hollywood. And I thought, 
wouldn't it be great if this book comes out and it absolutely flops because the revolution had, had sort of ended or the, the tide had turned and all of a sudden the, the woke the woke are on the run. And that's I don't think that's going to be the case, unfortunately. I'd, I'd, I'd love to have a bombed book if that if the culture was sort of shifting in a new direction, but I don't think that's going to happen. How do you, uh, as, with Bleeding Fool, respond to what's going on? Is it just something that is a constant source of, of fodder and content? Is it something you can, you want to do different things on the site? I mean, you're already sort of, you know, uh, activating artists who haven't been given a chance. You're actually kind of covering some of the discrimination. What else do you think that you'll be doing in the months to come at Bleeding Fool? Well, I don't think it's going away anytime soon with the cancel culture. Uh, obviously, like you, we uh, cheer on people, uh, whether it be Dave Chappelle or Madonna, when they start griping about cancel culture. Um, I don't think it's going away, which is, I, I share your lament that it's not going away. Um, I would be happy to be able to shut Bleeding Fool's website down and say, hey, cancel culture has been defeated. Mm -hmm. uh, let's all celebrate. Uh, but it's not. Um, if it does, we would probably just continue to have a lot of opinion pieces about different uh, film reviews, uh, entertainment news, and so on. But I just don't see it going away. I, I think that what we are trying to do is, like you, bring it to people's attention uh, while also giving our own take on entertainment and uh, hopefully elevating some things that just aren't going to get noticed because they don't. Um, they don't really fit with the vision that the woke cancel culture social justice warriors have for entertainment. It's been stunning to me to see uh, things um, like the Star Wars, what's happened to it, or a climate alarmist bisexual Superman um, or Robin. Or uh, It just seems like there's been so much um, politics from the left uh, with identity politics and so on being integrated into these legacy properties that I, I just don't see how they're ever going to be able to walk that back, Christian, do you? I mean, I, I don't know that, I think these are some severe permanent changes and there's always going to be sort of this tribal audience that um, is looking for like-minded people. And I, I do believe there's more of us than there are of them. We're just more patient and a little bit quieter. Yeah, and I think it's interesting that they're, uh, the people behind this movement are willing to lose money, lose potential mm. to get their message out. They're they're quite comfortable with that. And maybe it has to come to the point where they're pretty uncomfortable from a financial mm. point of view to realize what's happening. But yeah, it, it will take a while for that ship to turn around. But in the meantime, there are creators that you and I cover all the time, from Ryan Long and the comedy space to some of the work you do. And Mike Barron, I mean... If, you, if we were having a conversation 10 years ago and you and I said, you know what, I'd like to make a story about a, a, a female Latina heroic cop, but I just can't get it made, I, we'd laugh at each other and say, come on, stop it, stop the nonsense. But that's where we are. And again, it's you know, good for Mike Barron kind of rising up and telling a different kind of story. We need, we need true diversity. And you know, I don't even mind if they want to tell left of center stories, if they're good, if they're compelling. I want all the stories out there. And I've, I've seen liberal movies that were quite good and, and, and eager to cheer them on. Just tell a story first. Uh, but uh, I love what you're doing at Bleeding Fool. And I appreciate you joining right on Hollywood, Chris. Of course, it's Bleeding Fool. Dot com. You get a different take on geek culture, a smart take, and one where you will not be shadow banned if you dare to disagree. And again, that That's seems right. like a very low bar to set, but you've set it and it isn't there on other sites. So uh, that's why we need sites like Bleeding Fool. Thanks again, Chris, and we'll have you back on soon. Thank you, Christian.
Thanks for listening to Ride on Hollywood. I really appreciate it. If you like the show, please pummel that review button on Apple Podcasts and leave a five-star rave. Now, we're a once-a-week show for now, but you can always follow my work at hollywoodintoto.com, the right take on entertainment. I update that site daily, and if you enjoy this show, I think you'll like that particular website as well. I'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to the Right on Hollywood podcast, part of the Just the News Network. We'd love to hear from you about the show. You can email Christian at Hollywoodintoto.com. And please don't forget to rate and review us at Apple Podcasts. Five-star reviews make our day. But just speak from the heart. Free speech matters more than ever. <laughs>